Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds from the studios of WBNS Radio in Columbus, Ohio. This is the Nerd Association Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Barnett. And I'm your other host, Mark Finch. And here on the Nerd Association Podcast, we like to remind you that just because our jobs are cool, it doesn't make us cool. Which brings me to our Nerd Association today. Daniel, what do you think of when I say, oh, you're so cool, Brewster? Uh, One of the most annoying characters in all of cinema (laughs) is what that makes me think of. Uh, We are, of course, at at your suggestion, Mark, talking about the 1985 version of Fright Night. Uh, And there's a lot to unpack here for a movie that on the surface seems like it's probably just kind of another vapid like teen horror comedy Mm -hmm. movie. You you suggested this after we talked about what we do in the shadows, maybe even on that episode. Yeah. And you and I were talking a little bit beforehand. I think for for some reason, I thought it was going to be like a period piece in New York in the 1800s and like vampires were trying to take over. And of course, that's not at all what this movie is. No. <laughs> not even it, in the slightest. <laughs> when watching it, it reminds me, I would say it's like a cross between The Lost Boys and Gremlins. Yeah. Well, and of course, I can see why what we do in the shadows made you think of it, because it's about the the vampire that moves in next door, like, Mm -hmm. you know, into a sort of normal neighborhood. Um, I even had to laugh at the uh, the sort of Renfield familiar character that was part uh, Guillermo and part Colin Robinson. Mm -hmm. uh, Billy Cole, because he's like there's this there's this sort of idea that maybe he's a day walker. And I just mm-hmm. kept that kept making me think of Colin Robinson, you know, <sighs> in his office. <laughs> so. And we'll, I mean, and we'll get to that too. Yeah. But I, I, they never really go over exactly what Billy Cole is, but he's certainly not just human, right? So, what was your exposure to this movie first, and why did you think, okay, let's do a nerd association about Fright Night? Well, I've heard about this movie for a while um we were talking how it did have a remake in 2011 i've not seen that one but it was just on uh amazon prime at one point and Mm -hmm. i decided to check it out i really like 80s movies and this seemed right up my alley so i just flipped it on one day and i was pleasantly surprised it's got its issues and like you mentioned the annoying character of evil ed is probably the hardest part to get through (laughs) Um, Although, I, I mean, I that think it's, character's written to be annoying, and it does that, so good job. I think it's really good, and I think it was made at, like, the the perfect time. So, I, I in some research, I found that it has an estimated budget of between, like, 7 and $9 million, which is still probably low mid-range for the 80s, mm-hmm. I would say. Pretty low budget, but not, like, you know, scratching the bottom of the barrel budget. But you can tell there's not very many locations. They pretty much use that, like... It's like that has to be like a backlot street for that little neighborhood street that he's on. Yeah. Um, and the weird thing is it has a church, but they never really reference it. His house is right next door to a church. Charlie's is. But yeah. my, my point with the with the low budget is I think they did a really good job of stretching that. And if this movie, I think it was made at just the right time. If it was made 10 years later. There's tons of parts during the movie. There's a little bit of computer uh, enhancement to some of the scenes sure but if this was made in 1997 or something like that it would have been filled with that terrible mid to late 90s cgi yeah. and so i really appreciated the practical effects whether it be prosthetics or just straight up models or whatever they had 
throughout this movie. And that was something that really drew me to that. I really like that kind of stuff. The John Carpenter from the thing, like that kind of, yeah. you know, stuff where it's like real, it, it, it enhances the, you know, this movie violence, even though this movie's kind of a horror comedy, it, it, it makes it actually kind of scary when you can, when they've got the, you know, the evil Ed makeup when he's turning from wolf back into human yeah. and stuff like there's just some of that stuff the at the at the end where he with the bat and everything and how that's falling apart the way billy cole yeah. falls apart when they finally stab him i that i think was the number one thing that stuck out to me in this movie was the use of practical effects and i think they look pretty good oh i i would agree with that and it, it felt very much to me like um had an american werewolf in london vibe Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 had very much the sort of sense of humor of a John Landis movie, which of course American Werewolf in London came out about I think four years before this. So okay, um, but yeah, especially with the scene evil of Evil Ed turning from like wolf, you know, uh, transmuted into a wolf and then turning back into his human form, I thought that the effects there were good and actually. That part of the movie like is very disconcerting because it makes mm-hmm. you think for the first time about how this teenage kid just got straight up murdered. Yeah, he was this horrible creature, but he <laughs> he comes back and and for a character who the actor had just had to play him as this sort of vapid like uh, caricature, the acting in that part where he's coming back and he's he's scared, he's dying, is pretty good. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. this kid can actually, he's got some chops. No, no pun intended. <laughs> well, there were with his character especially, there were times where too I was questioning him like, is this actor just a really annoying person, or is he just doing a really really good job yeah. of playing an annoying person? Because he just absolutely nails it. And you hear this term thrown around a lot, and it definitely applies to him chewing the scenery. Woof! A lot of the characters <laughs> in this movie are for sure chewing the scenery, but he is the most, especially when he turns into a vampire and the his dinner is in the oven. Yeah, He's that whole scene reading is reading the hilarious. note from his mom. Yeah. <laughs> well and I loved the um I loved the the angle of the Vincent Price character, uh mm-hmm. Peter Vincent, which Yeah. You know, that smacks to me of in the 19, I think it was in the late 70s, early 80s, there was that Scooby-Doo spinoff cartoon where the actor Vincent Price was a character in it and like voiced himself. (laughs) Okay. And I just loved that vibe of having Vincent Price, this very, or of course it's a cognate, it's Peter Vincent in this movie. Yeah. But this, you know, renowned actor who has basically been in terrible horror movies. Vincent Price had some good movies, but most uh-huh. of his movies were bad uh, yeah. by, you know, by objective standards. And so I love this idea that if the kid can't get anyone to believe him, the person he would go to is the horror movie hour host. Uh, and of course, <laughs> it's called I wish we had more things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the curated curated movie nights with a, you know, a classic from horror movies. that's just kind of running you through it. And, you know, Charlie in this movie's a big fan of them but I, yeah i wish we kind of had more things like that i don't know get a streaming show together netflix will produce anything well mystery science theater 3000 was kind of that yeah for, but for bad sci-fi and of course i mean and it did well for oh it's time and it came back on netflix for a season didn't mm-hmm. it but yeah i agree with you i think that it would be cool to have a little bit more of that and i think with the with like the onslaught of like youtube i mean if you if you deep dive into youtube there's tons of youtubers who just like to watch like 
bad movies and then kind of explain them to their viewers. And right. so I think there would be a, an audience for that to have somebody be the host for you to watch a bad movie. Cause the hardest part about picking a bad movie that will still entertain you, you know, so bad it's good. Right. Is there's nobody there to tell you which one. So you might end up just watching 90 minutes of a completely boring, nothing special bad movie. So I, I don't know. I guess that's an offshoot of this, but I think that would be a cool idea to bring back somebody who, yeah, hosts and curates these bad movies for you. So, you know, you're at least getting into something that will entertain you, even though if it is objectively bad for or sure. subjectively bad, I don't know. Objectively Both. bad. Well, yeah, well, both. It's kind of I mean, both. It can be either. <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I, I did think it was interesting. I'm looking at a little bit of background information into the film. First of all, written and produced by Tom Holland, not the one we would think of, but isn't that no. funny? And uh, his whole Although Tom Holland would be great for another remake of this movie because you know true. they remake movies every ten years now, anyways. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, so it, apparently, Tom Holland, the writer and, and director, had this idea of this movie and. The only way that he, you know, his whole thing was like, what are we going to do for two hours? Because no one's going to believe the kid. And how do we how do we play that without some Uh other intervening force? And his idea was Vincent Price, like literally Peter Vincent is that they couldn't use Vincent Price. And so they had to get somebody else and change the name because at that time, you know, during the 80s, a better era. Apparently, uh, they had (laughs) a lot of these different kinds of curated horror hours on TV. Um so I think that's very interesting. But uh, and he said Charlie Brewster was the engine, but Peter Vincent was the heart. And once he <laughs> once he had that idea, then he was able to kind of knock it out and, and, you know, get people on board. Yeah, that that does make sense, because if you're watching the movie, it would clearly like basically once you get to like the nightclub scene. Yeah. If there wasn't the Peter Vincent character, it would just have to immediately progress to the final fight. There's a lot of parallels to Dracula, the book. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, not just in that vampires are vampires, but this idea of the young male protagonist has the sort of female love interest that gets seduced by and kidnapped by yeah. the, you know, the, the, and then you have to have the expert, which in Dracula is Van Helsing. But in this case, it's because it's a you know a comedy and it's a it's a spoof. Then it has to be some some fraud that suddenly mm-hmm. and and it's very meta the moment where he's like, well, it works in all the vampire movies, so hopefully it'll work in real life. <laughs> you know, having yeah, doesn't he say like everything else that has worked in the movies has worked so far, right? So I don't see why this one won't. Yes, yeah, so this idea it, and the, it's very meta a horror movie about mm-hmm. somebody who only knows about vampires through being in horror movies. Uh, is very good but yeah yeah i think also they kind of they kind of split that role this is more popular as like vampire movies have gone on and as i was reading it kind of sounds like this movie had a little bit of the effort as like reviving the vampire genre and bringing it more because people were probably a little confused how will we you know because vampires are so constantly in like a you know a period piece like you said like what you were expecting right from this and then you know after this you have the lost boys and then so many movies that have come after it where vampires are yeah they're just like walking down the street living in your neighborhood yeah. um but evil ed kind of plays that character what my original point was where of like the the kid who knows stuff that you're like well he's an he's like a nerd but like he is always talking about this stuff so he does go to evil ed at first to be like what should i do and he, he tells him about like the cross and the garlic and things like that right um i you were talking about the sort of trope of vampire movies and how in the 80s they they became not less period pieces and more 
you know, set in the present day. Mm-hmm. Um, you and I were talking about this a little bit. So vampires are often like a sociological keys yeah. about the idea of invasion or things that not just invasion, but things being forced upon you. Mm-hmm. I did think, and I might be reading into it too much, but that's my job here. Like my job is to read into <laughs> it too much. It, to me, it's interesting that in the midst of the 1980s, these, these modern vampire movies become popular and usually portray men preying on young, like young boys. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do think that there's an interesting parallel to this is when the AIDS epidemic is going on. And I, yeah. and I'm not, I want to just clarify that I don't think that that's what the AIDS epidemic was, but I do think that that's how media reacted to it in some ways. This idea of the, mm-hmm. like the man carrying the thing. So in this case, the vampire carrying the sort of whatever pathogen that turns people into vampires infecting other people with it um and there's even that line in the movie like oh he moved in he has a live-in carpenter uh, well they're probably just gay well i Mm -hmm. thought that's something in in our time where you you're you know you would have neighbors move in you might speculate that and it wouldn't mean anything at that time uh it would have a different sort of uh weight to it uh Mm -hmm. you know I don't know. Like I said, I, it, it seems to me like this movie has a th- little bit of that in it. And then, of course, um, there is the idea that, that vampires are like predatorially sexual or sexual predators. Yeah. Because the whole vampire thing is you seduce somebody or like charm them into letting you force yourself upon them. So yeah. I don't know. And then that was on full display here with, you know, sexy Chris Sarandon as the the lamest uh, vampire name ever jerry dandridge <laughs> the, <laughs> jerry dandridge uh, yeah because it sounds like dandruff but <laughs> going off what you say like yeah horror horror movies especially have always been able to tap into the anxiety of the time period yeah. that they're made which is clearly would be a time when the aids epidemic would be at a height and something that people would have on their mind so you know without knowing fully tom holland's intent I think you can definitely read into it that way that this is something like, well, you know, if I want to make a horror movie or if I want to make a vampire movie, what is something that I can relate it to that is going on in current times sure. there? And this, you know, with the obviously AIDS being a sexually transmitted disease and you talking about it that way. And then like the blood that is associated yeah. with vampires and stuff like that so that, th- those connections are definitely there i you know i can't say for sure whether or not but it's not hard to make that leap and read into it this way and it's weird how sometimes movies you can like change how you perceive like what they're meaning as time just goes on and sure. now we're you know we're so hyper aware of what was going on in the 80s and stuff like that with the aids epidemic and everything that it's interesting to maybe yeah. interesting isn't the right word but it's it, it, to look back on it with hindsight yeah and this movie may not have been you know tom holland may not have intended it at all and it may just be like kind of part of the zeitgeist of the time and and people mm-hmm. were interested you know let's talk about carl Jung for a second the idea of the collective unconscious and that there are just things mm-hmm. in our all of our brains whether we realize it or not yeah so again uh, maybe for a movie that's like sort of a teen horror comedy this may be delving too deep but it did kind of as i was thinking about and you mentioned the lost boys the vampire movies of the 80s and how they were different Mm -hmm. from previous generations i mean even 10 years earlier the big vampire movies were the dracula movies with christopher lee in them which were (laughs) 
set in a closer to modern time, but I think those were more about just like, uh, again, the sort of sexual predator nature of vampires. Mm -hmm. And part of them, too, were like just bad movies. Christopher Lee, spectacular actor. A lot of those movies were horrible. (laughs) (laughs) And going along with like the sexual predator thing in this movie, there's an idea maybe that his pursuit is targeted, that there's some sort of multi-generational either link or something between somebody, a lover he had had in a past life or yeah. something and Amy, mm-hmm. cause he has that painting of her and she looks just like the painting. So I, I think there's definitely an implication that he moved next door to her boyfriend on purpose. Sure. Or yeah, whether he knew it or not, there was some other force at work there. I always think it's interesting too. Can we talk about the fact that um, vampires like long lost love interests are always redheaded women? (laughs) Always. Uh, Yeah. And it's always, she, she died tragically 400 years ago and I've been waiting for her to come back. Also, all vampires are believe in reincarnation, which is, is again, so just an, a trope that's not talked about much, but they they know it must be her. Yeah. So what does he? What does Jerry Dandridge do? Does he just wait until he gets caught and move, or is he constantly moving around, hoping to fall into the reincarnated being of his former lover? Yeah. And there's not a whole lot of subtlety there, is there? Like he just immediately just starts slaughtering people with with very little care or attention to covering it up. I mean, yeah. When he realizes Charlie could out him but charlie already had the cops at his door by the time he realized he could be in trouble you know what i mean yeah (laughs) and then luckily that's a big theme of it is like people not believing i know he's a teenager but like people not believing children yeah and i thought that was an interesting angle the movie took too is sometimes you know there's a little bit of like rear window which for my generation is more the movie disturbia which is inspired by that and in that movie it is a mystery even to the viewer for a you're pretty sure but it's still not like a hundred percent sure this one they don't really take any time with you as the viewer knowing that he is in fact a vampire no they put you on charlie brewster's side immediately like you are you are seeing the things he sees you are sure that he is right yeah Yeah, which is an interesting tact if he turned out to not be the vampire that would be a huge shock to you because the way they set it up is you yeah you're totally in belief that he's a vampire you mentioned how he's unsubtle Mm -hmm. too like yeah i mean he in broad daylight he just has women dropped off and then the next day that woman's face is on the news that she was found mangled by the, and yeah, they just, they like, they has no like fancy way of disposing of them. They just like dispose of her by the train tracks and leave it at that and go, nobody will suspect me. Right. Yeah. It's well, and that whole thing about um, her being a, an escort or a prostitute uh, and mm-hmm. I don't know, just sh- again, showing up in broad daylight was that Helen Hunt? Was it? No, it wasn't. Helen it looked Hunt. like her. Was I wasn't sure. I don't know. Is Helen Hunt famous in 1985? I'm not sure. No, I don't think her... she's. I don't think she exists in 1980. Well, I mean, she exists, well, but you know what I mean. Uh, I'm having, I don't know. I'm I... having a hard time finding that without like going for. Now, can we talk about the fact? I'm scrolling. Sorry, I'm scrolling down the Wikipedia page. Let's jump yes. to another topic briefly, at least. As I've said before, 1980s movies have uh, intrusive soundtracks. And this mm-hmm. one was no exception. Can we talk about that the Fright Night theme is the Jay Giles band? Is it really? Yeah, and that um, Devo does one of the tracks, Let's Talk. I think the music's great in this. It's, it's like very a, good, yeah. There's like 
like that organ type of music that you would associate with vampires, but it's also like mixed in with like synth eighties. So it, it like has the, the sound you expect from vampires mixed in with eighties sound for sure. Well, and this is one of the early instances of Mark Mothersbaugh who now every other television show or movie he does the score for <laughs> Mark Mothersbaugh was the head, you know, the driving force behind Devo and is okay. also from Ohio. Well, there we go. So Those are go. some fun facts. For fun you. facts, uh, but yeah, I did think it was interesting. These, because especially because I, I agree with you, the soundtrack is good, but it does sound like like knockoff versions of real bands. Does that make sense? <laughs> I, and, yeah, I kind of get yeah. And in fact, it's like Jay Giles' band, Autograph, uh, who had a few hits, and then Devo again, who had a few hits, but at the time were were a big deal so yeah well and then it's like especially like when they're in the club you know that's when you might expect to hear like an 80s song that you would actually know yeah and it's just not quite there but it definitely sounds 80s (laughs) for sure we talked about billy cole a little bit Mm -hmm. that's an interesting one to unpack because what is he as i was looking things up for this website or this uh podcast i was looking things up on a website for this podcast I kind of came across some information on it, but it's still not like fully clear that he might be like sort of like a familiar that's been sort of not fully changed into a vampire, but like become undead himself because yeah, I mean, he takes a beating. He's, you know, he's like a Timex takes a lick and keeps on ticking. They shoot him. They unload that entire gun on him and he just gets right back up. But when they finally stab him in the heart with a wooden, it wasn't a stake. It was whatever, a piece of furniture, but yeah. it was wood. He convulses and turns into green goo, and then his skeleton is still there. Um, later in the movie, uh, Vin, uh, Peter Vincent uses the, the his like bone, like his femur, mm-hmm. to block the bat, which I thought was a cool little callback that they actually had his skeleton there, and that's a decent attention to detail. Yeah. Well, yeah, I wondered if he was supposed to be some sort of like um, golem or not really a zombie, but like a Frankenstein type monster because he had mm-hmm. that flat affect. And of course, he had like green goo for blood. Um, I don't know. I thought that was just an interesting. It's interesting when a movie so much proceeds on what you expect from a horror movie mm-hmm. and then there are elements of it that are that you don't. <laughs> and this movie definitely has a really good attention to detail. I thought... Um, one of the things that was very interesting to throw away, but interesting, uh-huh. the kind of bat that Chris Sarandon, why can't I think of the character, uh, Jerry Dandridge. Dandridge, the kind of bat he turns into is a fruit bat, not a vampire okay. bat, but a fruit bat, which are larger and have a different sort of physique. And did you notice that throughout the entire movie, he's eating apples? I did notice that. Uh, I didn't know if that was anything specifically to call back or if it was just supposed to be one of those like every like a-hole in a movie is always eating an apple and chris sarandon plays a-holes in movies really well can we talk about that too that's that's a guy who um was in a lot of stuff in the 80s and then just dropped off the map suddenly uh because he's in the princess bride he's in um yeah he's in child right play. he is in okay i was wondering where else he had been in but yeah he's definitely in the princess bride i recognize that he's in child's play okay. um he's in dog day afternoon um oh, child's 
Do you remember Dog Day Afternoon with Pacino? He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for that movie, which was, by the way, a spectacular performance. I never realized it was him. I, uh, As you mentioned Child's Play, though, that kind of reminds me of this. Uh, the kid in Child's Play, much younger than Charlie Brewster, but it's the same thing. Where like he's like, something's up, and there's something going on, and it's scary, and we need to take care of it. And all the adults are just like, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of movies in the 80s are that way. Yeah. Uh, especially horror movies. But uh, yeah, a lot of movies seem to be catching on to that idea of, mm-hmm. I think it's the change in how people viewed children is not just like commodities, you know? Because <laughs> honestly, there was a time period where children were just kind of thought of as commodities. You you yeah. had them because they could help you do work around the house. Um you know and love them and nurture them whatever um (laughs) but i do think there was a whole this idea in in child psychology to go back to that in the 70s and 80s like oh no children are actually little little people and you need to listen to them (laughs) it's important for their development their feelings aren't just kid feelings their feelings just like any other adult right yeah you need to work on nurturing that in some way especially if they're feeling like there's something going on. One last uh, note about Chris Sarandon. He was also the speaking voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. All right. That's more, a big one. The more you learn. Yeah. Not the singing voice, though. Uh, no, not the singing voice. I don't know who the singing voice. Well, we're about to find out because it's apparently important at this moment. Uh, <laughs> Danny Elfman okay. sang, sang for Jack Skellington. So there you go. Back to uh, yes. Charlie Brewster, the main character. <laughs> Back to this movie, you mean. <laughs> there, there, there's a few things I just wanted to point out about his character. One, like, I like the idea that he's got this, like, classic, classic 60s uh, Mustang that they just, like, messed up the paint on, and it's supposed to be, like, his ratty old car. Yeah. And it's just, like, the coolest car you could possibly <laughs> have as a teenager. So, but, but I don't that, know. I, <laughs> but at that point, was, like, just an old junk car? Yeah, like 20 more years in the future, if you get to 2005, that would be a collector's item that somebody would be super interested in fixing up. Well, I think the, the messed up paint was because um, they had Bondo to fix the rust. Oh, And, and yeah. then you like buff it out and repaint it. Mm-hmm. But, the, but yeah, it's suggestive that it's an old rusty Mustang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the uh, other thing with him, like we were talking about how like nobody believes him. Charlie, why didn't you go with... Okay, maybe he's a vampire, sure. But they can still investigate the murder legitimately. Right. So why did you not just say, I think he's the murderer, I have some evidence, and then leave out the whole vampire part? I know he's freaked out, but that to me like seemed like you've got the detective there. You, you yeah. really don't need him to investigate whether or not this guy's a vampire. You just need to investigate whether this guy's a murderer. Well, I think they, st- I mean, I believe that that's how it started. His in- yeah. intent when he got there was to not bring up the vampire thing, but then he got unnerved. I will tell you, in what universe does a teenager go to the police and accuse somebody of murder and the detective says, well, come with me. Let's go to the house and confront them together. In what universe does a cop think that's a good idea? (laughs) I guess my only pushback to that would be that there were two murders in two nights in this town. That seems like kind of a smaller town. So that might be the only reason he might do it is because, well, there's, this is a weird time. These murders just started happening, and this guy just moved in. Maybe this kid is onto something. No, I'm not saying. I'm saying, why did he take him with him? Like, what a terrible oh. idea to take the key witness to the person who he's <laughs> accusing of murder and saying, "Charlie here says you're killing people." Like, <laughs> that's yeah, bad police make, work. 
they drive. The other weird thing about that is they drive separately, but Charlie's behind him. Wouldn't it make sense for Charlie to be leading the way to his neighbor's house? Like, how does the cop know? Like, I mean, maybe a small town, he knows all the streets, but like, it just, I just thought that was a weird one. Like, why is the cop leading the way to back to Charlie's house? I don't know, man. That Lots whole, of problems with this cop. Yeah. There's the, the well, the, the police force in general seems pretty incompetent. Like if, if you go to a house, I don't know, maybe there's something else there to unpack, but if you go to a house of an accused like killer and the mm-hmm. whole thing is, it's shady anyway. Like the whole yeah. situation is already kind of shady. Yeah, so maybe right off the kid is like the kid's seeing things. It's a vampire, whatever. But like, but that you follow mean, up. Yeah, like okay, so the kid is you know the kid's a little out of his head, but maybe that's just because he's freaked out because he's seen some legitimate things. Right. The cop doesn't even go check out the trash bags. The Billy Cole character's like, well, you can check out the trash bags, which I don't know if he has decoy trash bags or what. But the cop doesn't. He's about to take him up on that offer, and then Charlie blows it up, but. You, you would just think like he would on the stuff that seems legitimate. Like I saw this guy carrying a human shaped trash bag <laughs> into a car last night, maybe still follow up on that part. Well, also he told him that he took it out to the car and drove it away. So if, mm-hmm. if he's like, you want you, if you can check our trash, if you want, well, the kid told you that it's not going to be there. Like, of course <laughs> the guy's going to offer to show you his trash bags. Cause there's no body there. You are, yeah. you're a cop and you already know that. Also, let's say at that point they hadn't discovered the woman's body by the train tracks. Yeah. You have a teenager who can describe the the victim exactly and say that mm-hmm. the, he was the last person to see her alive going into that house and that hours later a trash bag body was put into a car and presumably that's the same trash bag covered body they find near the railroad tracks. It's terrible. Yeah. This is the biggest in a movie that's about vampires. <laughs> this is the plot yeah. hole right here. This, this terrible police work <laughs> of this double murder in two days that they go, oh, we have a lead. Well, he said he was a vampire, so there's well, no way must, any of it's true. Yeah, he definitely didn't see anybody get murdered. What a dumb kid. Now, speaking of things that aren't addressed in the movie, can we talk about the mother being awoken in the middle of the night when uh when uh crap dandridge jerry dandridge it's such a stupid vanilla name i can't remember it <laughs> um so dandridge comes in and confronts charlie in the house after yes. his mom invites him in and that and by the way if you're charlie aren't there several points in the movie where you're like guys did you just hear what he said he said a threatening thing are you listening to what he's saying <laughs> um He's clearly threatening all of us right in front of all of us. Yes. There's Anyway, so Dandridge goes into Charlie's room to confront him, and there's that whole thing. First of all, if you're a vampire, you got to be, you're just going to let like the kid live so you can torture him when he's almost gotten you arrested. And the mm-hmm. second part is uh, he completely destroys, he's like, we want to be quiet, wouldn't want to wake up your mother, and then immediately like body slams him through his desk. <laughs> creating the most noise which, anyone's ever made which wakes up the mom so i guess it was at least he'd like jam the mom's door so she couldn't get out but yeah, yeah he he does he doesn't actually beyond that he doesn't go for any stealth now i am less concerned about that than i am about the mother who just heard a bo- her son getting body slammed through a desk even if she doesn't know that's what it was uh-huh you're not concerned about that doesn't he just doesn't he just say he had a nightmare yeah, okay, and your nightmare was you throwing your entire body through a desk? Like, yeah. 
uh, okay concerning and then the by the way there's the implication that she comes home from her night shift and finds most of her the front part of her house and like the foyer and the upstairs railing destroyed Mm -hmm. and and potentially i mean not a body because we get the impression that evil ed by the end of it has has snuck off somewhere yeah um but certainly like blood or viscera or something like <laughs> you would you would think that even if she also this is another adult that like will read the things that are actually happening and like maybe respond to that because if she was checking up on her own house that night after dandridge threatens him in his room and there's the whole tussle so his room is torn is true yeah there's a bunch of the the window was nailed down and now broken from right. the nails being pulled up by the vampire. And then that, that next night he's got garlic and what, what amounts to a thousand candles lit in his bedroom. Like, <laughs> yeah. shouldn't you notice something mom? Like, okay, maybe he's going through something that you should respond to. Instead. She just leaves that the next night and works yeah. the night shift. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, there's, I agree with you. All these things are clearly, He's saying things that deserve extra attention and doing mm. things that probably deserve hospitalization. And <laughs> no wonder and Jerry no Dandridge one. can just move around and do whatever he wants because all the adults in this universe are just like, nah, he's just a handsome man who lives in this decrepit house with blacked out windows in the basement. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess maybe the bi- the bigger theme that we're picking up on is that these movies just show that adults are dumb. <laughs> because they're made for a teenage audience yeah right? they're made for an audience of teenagers who are like yeah grown-ups don't listen to us and they're stupid Bleh. uh except for you know the thing that kids find coolest which is vincent price yeah and he and, only, then, and he only listens to him for money well yeah because she he's he says this lie about hollywood calls i must go off to make a movie and she says well i have a 500 uh savings bond and he goes i'll take it <laughs> also in that scene when they're explaining to him like what they need to do and he says s- something about oh she says this is more important and he goes what could be more important than my autograph because he thinks <laughs> yeah. they're initially there to get his autograph and then she talks about how you know charlie's in trouble and he's like well i I suppose children are more important yeah for sure he's definitely (laughs) again crappy adult so these are your themes adults are crappy uh Mm -hmm. aids was scary uh vampires are gross sexual predators any other (laughs) any other big salient themes we want to (laughs) tackle no i i think we're good on those i would i i do like to point out that we mentioned how from the viewer and charlie we know immediately that he's a vampire but it is kind of cool how there's not like a one event that everybody else finds out it's like steps so vincent's the second one to find out when he realizes there's no there's no reflection when he's looking in his little pocket mirror then they're leaving and the the two other teen amy and evil ed are still pretty much denying it and then they're both kidnapped by the vampire yeah and either successfully or attempted to turn into a vampire themselves and that's when they finally believe it yeah it is i will say you're right it's well the movie is very well written um Mm -hmm. and i can like this is a movie that i hadn't heard of until you suggested it but really should be thought of as more of a classic it should i think it's got a little bit of a cult following but yeah it's not it does not get mentioned when you're talking about horror movies from the 80s which because the 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 
the decade was dominated so much by slasher films. And that's yeah. probably why it gets forgotten. Cause it doesn't get to be thrown in with the Freddy Krueger's and the Friday the 13th. But to me, it's, it's every bit. And I say this as a person who really likes Shaun of the dead. To me, it's every bit as good as Shaun of the dead. It's a different kind of film, but yeah. it's, it's as well written. It's as thoughtfully put down. I mean, the, the it's quotable it's quotable the acting is stilted but that's on purpose it's supposed to kind of be an homage to those classic like b horror movies or c mm-hmm. horror movies and so it's written kind of like that um but yeah i i i agree with you that the writing is so good in the way that they they present incrementally and even by the end the core characters know that that he was a vampire but it's not like there was some big revelation to the community at large yeah like the house didn't blow up they fought him in the basement right and he burnt up in the sunlight then what and and I, I that would be something to be to see what was the explanation for what happened in that house because yeah. now i don't know the bank repossesses it or somebody has to take ownership of it and they're going to go in there and and i mean even see, if he paid for it in cash it, eventually it, it, it's going to become somebody a has to own property, it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe they would just deem him like a sex pervert. They'd be like, well, he's got these coffins in the basement and these chains and what a, what a weird guy. Yeah. And then there's no sign of his, but I guess, you know, he burnt up, but there would be a skeleton from Billy Cole. Right. Yeah. With green, like icker on it. <laughs> um, I will, can I tell you another thing that I really liked? So again, this movie very much played on the classic tropes of vampires, but some of the ways it subverted it were really cool. I liked the idea that the, the crucifix only works if you actually believe in it. You have to have faith for that to work on me, Mr. Vincent. Yes. Yeah, I like that line. I do. I do, too. I also like that in most vampire movies, any little bit of sunlight hitting them just instantly vaporizes them. Mm -hmm. I like a vampire where you actually have to keep them in sunlight for an extended amount of time. Yeah, it burns them, but it doesn't. Yeah, just completely immolate them, annihilate them right away. Yeah, Yeah. I liked uh, we talked about Curse of Strahd and D&D a few weeks ago, and that's very that's very much like a a D&D mechanic where, okay, yeah, you can put the vampire in sunlight, but it doesn't kill him immediately. You have to keep him in the sunlight to keep to make it happen. Um, I also like the uh, kind of a kind of a zombie thing kind of, you know, also works with vampires. But, you know, the dandridge didn't seem very interested in just like killing all the people around charlie he he didn't want to kill charlie but he turned the other two into vampires now he had a reason for amy but he really didn't have a reason to turn evil ed nope into a vampire so i think that's cool how that adds in like secondary antagonists that were formerly friends for sure well and 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 played on evil ed kind of charmed him in saying like they won't make be able to pick on you anymore I mean, even Charlie is like crappy to, you know, evil Ed and vice versa. They're not good to each other. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, th- I think they're supposed to be like friends. But I th- I think the idea is maybe that Amy is sort of getting in between sure. their friendship or what. But yeah, he, I mean, we keep calling him evil Ed. He does not like that name. No. Yeah, we're calling yeah, we're calling him that because that's what he's called throughout the movie. But correct. He he says, stop calling me that. <laughs> and presumably he's called evil Ed because he's just interested in horror movies and the occult. Yeah, just, you know, kind of things that people would seem, you know, weird, kind of gross interest for that time period. You know, now people are interested in everything. So I think you'd have a hard time getting that nickname through for people. Yeah, for sure. 
Oh, speaking of evil Ed, uh, kind of a homonym for that. I thought the makeup, especially for him, mm-hmm. reminded me a lot of Deadites from Evil Dead. I was just, oh, I was just gonna say, do you think Evil Ed is a play on Evil Dead? Mm-hmm. And of course, it most certainly would have to be. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of those movies that is a love letter to the genre in a way that is successful and doesn't feel forced. It. It's mm-hmm. just a nice kind of homage to this style of movie. Uh, like I said, the sort of 40s, 50s, 60s B-movie horror that was as funny as it was scary, and not intentionally. Now, this movie yeah. was intentionally funny, but there were moments that played like real, a real horror film, as we said, kind of like an American Werewolf in London. It's yeah. equal parts comedy and horror, not just a funny movie that has a few jump scares in it. Yeah, and when they do the the full on vampire makeup, I mean, those are pretty scary creatures. The especially the Evil Ed one, where he's got those teeth that are just sticking out at all different angles. Yeah, I think that one's. I mean, he's got the 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 cross burn too on his forehead from when he had a run in with uh, Vincent. And yeah, I think that's a legitimately scary creature. And then he's still hamming it up at, as the actor, like playing the part. Yeah. But, it's definitely something that like on its own, just an image of that pretty scary. Well, I would say too the reveal of, of vampire Amy, like fully transformed is very scary. Like the huge face. That's full very dead eyed esque too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, uh, again, I, I think this movie does both very well in a way that most movies can't. And I think it would have been better served as a like late sequel than a remake when they did it in 2011 because sure. they kind of, they don't I mean they don't full on tease it I think it's more of just like uh, oh where did Evil Ed go but they definitely set up that something could come of him at the end of the movie and that there could be something I think I thought that was really that's a cool scene too right at the end where he, he's looking out the window and he just sees those red eyes as he goes by yeah. and then they have Evil Ed laughing but it's also funny how the the movie's just like full circle you know after all that he's still just a horny teenager who (laughs) wants his girlfriend in his bedroom and they're one for some reason they're really into watching peter vincent's uh movie hour in which he makes a reference to him at least yeah he he gives him a shout out yeah Uh, so there was a fright night part two back in the day um okay and it is about charlie as a college student and then there's, of course, like a group of vampires there. There was also a Fright Night to New Blood in... Yeah. That was a, a rem or not a remake, but a, a sequel to the more recent Fright Night. Mm-hmm. And they're in Romania. That sounds like an existing script that the Fright Night name was thrown on because the Colin Farrell one did okay. I yeah, think probably. what we need... We need a soft reboot, same universe, where... Uh, Peter Vincent is gone. He's dead. And Charlie and Charlie Brewster is t- it takes the role of Peter Vincent for a new group of teenagers who are suspicious of the vampire next door. Oh, I agree and wholeheartedly. Yeah, I think that would be a fun movie. And I I don't know too much about the Colin Farrell one, but I uh, my rem- I remember when it came out. But my memory of it is that it basically just kind of came and went, and was yeah. like, oh, another remake. I also think in the soft reboot, I like that phrase, that you have them go online to find, and then there's this, like, 50-year-old kind of weirdo that's in all of the chat rooms. 
talking yeah. about his I've experience. I've seen a vampire. Yeah. I've killed one. And and so they like and oh he, this guy they do like a you know the thing that teenagers do where they are computer hackers, and they're like, <laughs> oh this guy he lives down the street from us, Charlie Brewster. Like perfect. Oh wow! And then they you know they seek him out to. I agree with you. He certainly. I think it even get that actor. I think, I mean, he still I like, exists. I like that idea too, <laughs> that they find him through, you know, and they would always, that, it, that does seem like something that a Hollywood screenwriter would come up with, like some way to, you know, mirror what it was, but instead of a guy on TV who talks about vampires, it's a guy on YouTube. online forums or YouTube. <laughs> yeah. That talks about vampires. I think that would be a perfect way to, you know, as George Lucas says, make it rhyme. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, William Ragsdale's that actor, and he's 59 years old, so he could, in fact, probably seamlessly move into that role. Perfect. So let's call right. him. We've just let's written the script. Hollywood on the line. For all of you listening to the podcast, TM, 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 it's our idea. You can't have it. <laughs> and we're going to go ahead and call William Ragsdale and see if he's on board. Yeah, and you know they would like what would they call it because like now the the thing is when you do like the soft reboot like halloween just did it you just call it halloween again right but they already did the remake and called it fright night so i think we need to call it call it fright night.com <laughs> there you go fright night.com which there yeah and that could be his site because he it's his homage to his his friend peter vincent yeah and there would be a like a thing on the the front page to be like this is in honor of peter vincent Rip. yeah that's how it would open <laughs> perfect so okay well i'm glad we got it figured out um <laughs> we've we've written a movie we've written the movie uh good job good job us <laughs> so uh chops at the end of the day i think we've pretty much hit it D- is there uh do we recommend fright night if you're out there looking for a spooky movie, do we recommend it? Yeah, I don't think I even have to put any real qualifiers on it. I would just say if you're wondering if it is for you, like the the movies that we've mentioned that we've compared it to, if you like Gremlins, if you like The Lost Boys, if you like Shaun of the Dead and kind of aspects from each of those movies kind of put into one in a little smaller, understated 80s horror movie, I would totally recommend it. I think it's perfect for like, yeah, like a group of friends because it's not just like sit there and pull the blanket over your face the whole time but it does have some scary moments and it's entertaining it's a popcorn movie i mean yeah to to be sure exactly so i couldn't have said it better myself yeah go out and watch fright night it's a if you've been watching a lot of horror for this month it's a nice little palate cleanser that still lets you uh like an apple that still lets you uh you know feel like you're partaking in horror so uh, that is Nerd Association. Uh, once more, we are looking for submissions for our pop culture hot takes. In fact, this will be the last time you hear me shouting that out. Uh, get those sent in to us via our Twitter at nerd underscore asoc, N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C. You can also email them to nerdasoc, no underscore there, at gmail.com. Once again, we're looking for pop culture hot takes. We're going to do a little bit of uh, debating of some of the hottest takes in pop culture in the next couple of weeks uh, and subjecting ourselves to some some hot pain as it were while we do so (laughs) so if you want to be a part of that and get a shout out on the episode let us know and uh, as always thank you for tuning in 